to the K-12-ish podcast, everyone. Today, I'm joined by Michael Robbins and Cecily Darden-Adams from the Learning Pathmakers and Learning Pathmakers Expedition, formerly the District of Learning. I'm really excited to have you guys here today. You've worked at the instructional, administrative, policy, and advocacy levels of education, so you've really seen it from just about every angle out there. So I I really want to dive into that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah. So I thought we could get started just by introducing you both to the listeners. You guys have several decades of education experience between you guys, as I mentioned, all those different levels. So Cecily, could you start and just give us some background on you? Sure. Um, I've spent my career in education. I really started with um, the the more of a research to inform policy perspective. Um, so I was in the think tank world uh, um, with AIR for, for many years and then transitioned over um, to wanting to be more local, really touch what we're, we're talking about with, with schooling and um, was with the Prince George's County Public Schools um, really on their research team to begin with. And so they, this is the evidence that we have around kids and their success, um, but then moved over into the executive side and worked on the talent side and, and really looking at like, what is it, to, you know, what does that, that great teacher look like? Um, and then finally, um, most recently, bridging my, my personal passion, I'm that parent, you know, that mom that shows up in school, um, bridging that with um, uh, my professional, uh, with the Flamboyant Foundation, and they really are leaders in family engagement and supporting educators in effectively um, engaging with families. And now I'm with the District of uh, Learning and, and, and Learning Pathmakers and working with Michael around um, bringing in um, uh, families, communities, and educators together. And we'll talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that background. I think it's really interesting that connection to families as well with an education and making them a part of that narrative. Cause I think it used to be like, you just drop your kids off at school, learning happens there and they're, they're so separated, but really I think the two are need to be importantly intertwined. Absolutely. Yeah. And a lot of Cecily's experience, you know, was with Prince John's, George's County public schools. Um, one of the largest school districts uh, in the country. And so really understanding, you know, what it takes to, uh, to work, you know, both inside a system and outside a system. Absolutely. And so, Michael, would you give us some background on you as well? Absolutely. So I've spent um, my career working at the intersection of education, technology, and community partnerships. Um, I led, uh, for the Obama administration, um, the signature initiative for the Department of Education and the White House on community partnerships and education. Uh, and then five years ago, I worked with the MacArthur Foundation and local partners um, to launch a, a nonprofit initiative called District of Learning uh, here in Washington, D.C. And we've been working um, with the power of mobile first technology, um, not for instruction, but really uh, for a different approach, one that I think has been missing, which is how do we actually use technology to connect learning uh, wherever it happens? And that happens across school community and virtual environments. So we, um, we developed a mobile-first platform with the MacArthur Foundation um, and that's now been used by over 90,000 people across the country. Um, Cecily and I have joined forces now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm also a parent. Um, you know, both of us had, um, have, have boys that started new schools in the middle of this pandemic. And so, 
you know, we've been on an urgent mission, you know, both over the last several months to, um, to make uh, what's happening with their education crisis better now, um, but really to chart a different pathway to the future. And that brings me to my next question. So the District of Learning is now morphing into learning path makers. Can you talk to me about what the District of Learning was and what this new iteration looks like for the organization? Yeah, so, you know, District of Learning was based on the belief that no one institution on its own um, can really um, do what we need to do, uh, which is, you know, to connect all the rich resources in our communities, um, our families, our, our community-based organizations, our, our um, government agencies and faith-based organizations. And so District of Learning has really been taking a, an ecosystem approach, um, which is, um, you know, possible in new ways uh, with technology. Um, Learning Pathmakers builds on that, but we're really we're really taking this to the next level, and um, anchoring off of this community here in Washington D.C., um, but working globally. Um, we've been collaborating with a team of educators, uh, social sector leaders, and technology experts in the five years that that um, that District of Learning has been operating our our platform for learning playlists and digital badges and online portfolios, um, technology has just completely changed the world in in good ways and in difficult ones, as we've seen. Um, But the truth is that um, we're ready to to take what we've learned um, and and really leapfrog forward um, to create a different pathway, uh, not just for learning, but a pathway to put uh, educating and learning and how we build relationships and support each other at the center of digital society, which uh, which right now um, definitely needs a different direction as well. Absolutely. So when you think about that person who's on that learning path, that expedition you guys are talking about, what does that journey look like for them? Yeah, Um so what Michael just um, stated is really important that District of Learning has you know, over five years of, of experience with remote learning. We are in a crisis right now that most of us didn't expect to be in around, how do we do this as parents, as, as, as educators, and even as community members who are creating awesome content and, and really trying to figure out how do we then bring kids and families into um, into what they're doing in this new way. Um, what's important is that we have evidence of how to do this remote learning work well, but we also know that schooling just wasn't working well for most kids, especially black and brown kids before um, this current crisis. So what we're doing on the expedition is really taking uh, taking a, a, a people along with us, all of those groups that I just mentioned, and really exploring what's working well. Um, we are um, experts in some way, but we know that the, that everyone out there has their own experiences and their own expertise that they bring with them. And so um, bringing together a community to collaborate around what is working and how we can improve beyond that in a, com- in a, in a real collaborative community sense. Um, and then having a personalized plan around how you're going to walk away from our expedition with the tools that you need, with the people you need on your team uh, to really move into the rest of 
you know, this academic year and really beyond, right? And so that we have a new frame to think about learning as being, as Michael said, anytime, anywhere, um, and not necessarily um, constrained with the things that we thought about schooling before the pandemic. During the crisis, there are so many uh, calls for a new vision for education. Um, you know, I think there's you know, unanimity that going back to normal isn't good enough because normal wasn't working the way that we wanted it to. Um, but when you look at you know taking on you know things from the systems level, you know this is work I've been engaged in. Cecily has been, has been engaged in for decades, um, and um, and we haven't moved the needle. Um, we're taking a different approach. Uh, we're asking the people to explore a different pathway, one that doesn't start with the system, but one that starts with each of us. What can we do? And so over the course of the expedition, we're going to be leading people on that and also you know, really starting with relationships and leading people through a process that's, um, that's built on my work um, in, um, in conflict resolution and mediation, which is how do we come together and resolve conflicts um, as we move forward to encourage collaboration. And I think what you hit on there is so important that what was normal pre-pandemic wasn't working. I think we hear so often about this, like, oh, return to normal. We just got to get back to normal. But but normal, it, it wasn't it wasn't good for most students. It left most students out of the learning equation. So and you're leading with this mobile first platform. And I think there's this idea of like, we just have to get students back into that traditional classroom and all will be good. So what are some of the benefits that you think of using technology to craft this expedition? What are, how do you think that that will help student learning? So, you know, we're using technology, but we're starting with relationships and starting, you know, with a different approach. And, you know, we have a, a school system um, that in effect was designed to support colonization, um, to feed the needs of, of industry, and to perpetuate um, social separation. Um, it, it continues to do that. We expect students to learn one thing one way. Um, and, um, and the fact is that when you look at um, how technology has provided us so many other options in our lives, you know, this, this, um, this focus on personalization, you know, mobile technology has changed the way that we connect and explore and live our lives in every aspect of society except education. We've been focused on using technology for learning. We're using it for connections. Um, but the human component has to happen first in order for this to work. We can't put systems first. And Cecily, you want to talk a little bit about what that pathway looks like? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, Michael's hitting it right on the head that our, what we know our research says about like how, how people learn well is when you are in a, a in a trusting relationship with folks, right? Um, and, and, and when you actually are able to learn in the ways that, um, that are best for you. And, you know, whether we think of it as everyone having like their own individualized education plan, right? Um, that, that we all are unique learners. And so as Michael has already said, like we're rooting in relationships. Um, the family engagement literature is really about how do you build trusting relationships between home and school? Um, and, and so we're modeling that in the expedition. We're having um, community members, families and, and educators come together 
uh, in ways that will build relationships on equal footing uh, to explore how we do this together. Um, but we're also leaning into um, talents. I'm a Gallup uh, Strengths Finder coach. And in that space, you know, I, I truly believe that we can unlock the, the potential uh, for learning, unlock your talent, your, 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 your learning superpower um, by leaning into your own talents. And so the talent piece is really important because we are trying to fit round pegs um, in square holes by asking all learners to learn a certain way. And the great thing about this moment is that we, we can customize um, learning with the tools that we have available. Unfortunately, the response that we've had with Zoomed Out Classrooms has been less tailoring um, of, of student learning opportunities instead of greater and increased learning um, uh, tailoring. Um, just out of out of uh, necessity. I mean, you know, teachers have had to really adapt to this moment as well. And, and so, um, what we're talking about is how do we take all of these resources and move to a, a new future um, where where educators can do what they know is best. Educators know what works in their classrooms <laughs> um, and, and, and having the tools to do that really well. You're so right. Educators know what works in the classroom. They're just so, the system doesn't often allow them to teach in that way. And so you brought up what I think is a really important word, which is trust. And it's critical that students and families have trust in the education system, that there is that relationship at the core of it. And I look at the education system right now, and you think about issues like racism within education, within the curriculum that's baked into it. You look at issues like digital equity, that students feel like they're going to be punished for not being able to get their homework done, but they just simply don't have access to a computer or adequate access to the internet. There's issues around accessibility within education. So there are all these ways that I think we break that trust with students, right? And so I wanted to hear from you where you think the current education system has opportunities to start to mend those areas uh, where there is lack of trust, where students can't trust that they will find the support that they need within education? I think, you know, for us, it, it starts, um, you know, with trust, it also starts with ownership. It's, you know, actually trusting students to articulate their own vision and goals. Um, you know, so for us, you know, we have a set of values that we're leading with, with learning pathmakers. And, um, and one of the first ones is self-determination. You know, the, our vision and goals are what make us, us human. And they've been, you know, neglected from schools. So, you know, starting with, you know, asking students, you know, and working with them to say, what is your, what are the vision for your life? What, what are your goals? How can we help you? I mean, that, that's where our trusting relationships start. Exactly. And, and a piece, an additional piece about, of that is what we knew um, going into the pandemic really worked in terms of family engagement and bringing in not just students into the relationship with teachers, but the whole families. Um, what were home visiting practices, um, student-led conferences, having academic parent-teacher teams. Um, those, those pieces 
um, we're working and can work um, beyond. And one of the piece, one of the, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the 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 lessons learned, one of those bright spots is is um, in my time with Flamboyant, we saw that educators who had strong relationships with their with their families um, had even stronger relationships once we went. Uh, to remote learning, and they were doing what we're talking about. They um, were, were really um, able to tune into what were those needs that those families had. And then once you, you know, think Maslow's hierarchy, right? Um, once you're able to establish trust, establish what those needs are, then moving into the, the, the academic rigor, you have a fully engaged experience. Another aspect of trust, and this gets to one of our other um, seven core values that we're leading with, which is, is the issue of transparency. Um, and you know, here is a place where uh, technology uh, plays a real role. And, and we're, we're digging deep in the expedition and with learning pathmakers on this issue of data ownership. You know, we own our financial data, we own our health data, um, you know, we see how um, data is the new oil of our um, global economy um, and the issues that happen when other people are using it in ways that, um, that promote conflict and division. Um, education is the place where we collect the most information on people the earliest in their lives they don't have access to, they can't understand, it, you know, they certainly can't use it to live their lives. And so... You know, one of the things that we're able to do now with new technology, in fact, you know, some of the same technology uh, that, you know, blockchain technology that, that underpins um, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, is we can actually have individuals own their data in new ways. Um, so in addition to helping people, um, you know, understand these new concepts, um, you know, the expedition is an opportunity for, for people to join with us um, in the technology development that we've been planning for months um, for, for the next generation of systems and systems for, for learning ownership, uh, learning data ownership is a big part of what we'll be introducing to people and engaging them on making uh, as we go forward. Yeah, and it's really important right now as we're looking at um, local state governments deciding uh, not to use traditional assessments like uh, in, in terms of, um, you know, standardized data assessments, or even reconsidering what we're talking about in terms of its attendance. Um, these are important moves because those weren't really measuring learning anyway, right? Um, and and so what we're going to be, um, in, in addition to the data ownership, we'll be exploring what are ways that, that students um, and families and educators can work together to create um, their, their learning experiences and document them and own those experiences and share them with others um, in ways that tell their own learning story. So Michael, one of the things that you did working with the Obama administration as an advisor was leading, I saw the digital transformation within communities and within school systems, helping execute that work. What, I mean, that is such a massive undertaking. So I think I have two questions with that because one of the topics I'm really passionate about is digital equity. So what you see as the next step toward achieving digital equity. So that would be number one. Number two, what did that experience teach you about leading massive change within education? 
you know, I, you know what I was saw happening, and this is when we saw um, you know large scale deployments of laptops that were in many ways facilitated by um, by the the new curriculum standards across states, um, and, and then heaped on top of this were new state tests, um, and we saw one initiative after another, um, you know, really struggle. Um, I mean to it'd be fair to say it was, uh, you know, a, a train wreck in many places. Um, and, you know, the, the, the shifts here that I think are different, you know, one is that, you know, there were questions about these big data collection efforts, who's, who's owning this data? Um, and, you know, I think that now with, with new technology, which is what's different than, than we happened then, happened then is that we can own our data. Um, the second thing that I think, you know, is our missed opportunity and, and really um, undergirds what our approach with learning pathmakers is everyone was focused on how can we actually use technology basically to replicate what's going on in the classroom? How can we use technology to teach our curriculum standards? And the big shift here is how do we actually use technology to collaborate? How do we connect learning everywhere it happens? Um, and, and so, you know, what, what I, I learned, and this is what we started um, with uh, our major initiative, uh, which was called Together for Tomorrow. It was a partnership between uh, the Department of Education um, and the Obama White House and the Corporation for National and Community Service, which one runs the AmeriCorps program, is it really takes, um, you know, a full set of, uh, you know, capacity building, of common focus on outcomes, on bringing everybody to the table. And, um, and, and the other thing is that you have to start somewhere, right? That you, you, can't, um, you can't expect to boil the ocean. And so here with Learning Pathmakers, although our resources and our, um, you know, our ex, you know, invitations and collaborations are already global, we'll be focusing here in our home in Washington, D.C., in particular around the ecosystem for high school learners. And so we are now going into a time where we're going to have a new administration in office. And I really wanted to ask you guys, as you think toward what this new ecosystem of learning will look like, what are some of the actions you want to see taken at a policy level to ensure that there's more equity in learning for students, that learning is much more effective because it's targeted towards students, it's individualized. Uh, you want to take that first, Cecily? I'll follow you. Go ahead. You were starting. <laughs> yeah. So, from a policy perspective, there are two things that I think can't happen soon enough. Um, one is uh, this issue of seat time requirements. Um, you know, we've been suffering through zoomed out classrooms um, because um, our teachers and our students are bound by, you know, 116 year old standards for seat time. That's how we measure progress. In fact, there are only two major institutions in the United States where we measure progress by time served and school is one of them. So think about that for a second, right? Um, so if we can can immediately, um, you know, at least under the pandemic conditions, um, you know, rid ourselves of these seat time requirements. Uh, and this is something that the, um, the department has a role to lead in, but is really something that's uh, managed on a state by state basis. 
um, that could free us up immediately to, to make things better. Secondly, and, and this is something that um, happened last spring, um, but I should be an immediate action, um, you know, as soon as the new administration comes in, is waiving state accountability tests for the spring. Um, you know, we've had teachers in a time of crisis, in a time of trauma, having to still teach to the tests, and it's adding trauma upon trauma, and it's impeding our ability to innovate. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with those. I think, um, and, and I'm, a, I'm a data geek, okay? So I come to you from the research perspective, and I know how important um, us researchers um, deem these, these two metrics, you know, the, the, the attendance and, and, the, um, and, and the standardized assessments in, in, our, in our work. However, it's, it's almost like we are reinforcing this equity problem. Um, the, the president of the American Educational Research Association called researchers to, you know, to the table on that in, um, in last year, or 2019's presidential address, um, that in many ways we are, we are, you know, replicating or creating the new Jim Crow by relying on things that we know are inequitable to begin with. Um, the, the other policy pieces that I would say is that we, we need, first of all, a leader in the, the U.S. Department of Education that actually speaks for all kids and particularly knows what we're talking about in terms of communities uh, for black and brown kids, for kids that are, are just um, from lower economic statuses, um, who, who have been experiencing systemic oppression in, in, from the schooling system. And um, Miguel Car Cardona seems to speak to that. He knows that experience. Um, and the other piece is um, what's been targeted um, uh, under the current administration is the data that we collect around civil rights data and, and, and reinstating um, really being able to have information, to have, have reliable national data on how all kids are doing, particularly those who we, we, we know might have their civil rights violated within schooling. It's time that we look um, to have the Department of Education, the U.S. Department of Education, actually um, live up to its name. Um, the way it has operated, and this is you know, in administration after administration, as if it were only the U.S. Department of Schools, um, and sometimes even just the Department of School Districts. Um, what we need is leadership at the federal level um, that recognizes that education um, you know, can't and, and shouldn't just be the responsibility of schools. This isn't about wraparound services. This is about creating uh, a learning ecoverse um, that reflects the way um, our students learn, which is across you know, school, home, workplace, uh, and, uh, and online communities. And families are an essential part of that. Uh, and, and that's one of those exciting places where, you know, if, if there's a, if there's like an ignition point, um, bringing families into this learning um, environment and, and listening uh, to, to how they can play the roles, how they are playing the role of a learning navigator for their, for the, for their children, but really helping them have that fully equipped toolbox to do that really well um, and helping them build the teams around learners um, that, that truly support meeting their, their learning objectives and telling their learning story. That's what we're talking about with learning pathways. When you think about the role of parents and that connection to students and what's happening within the school, all those people that touch on, that have a direct impact on learning, 
I know that you have a background as, uh, as you mentioned, a Gallup finder coach. And I wanted to hear from you what, how you think that that idea of helping people find their strengths of coaching them in the development of those, how that can impact education directly at those different levels. Yeah. I mean, so I've coached executives, I've coached educators, I've coached parents. Um, and one of the pieces that leaning into uh, your talents does is it is it, it's um, it's it it levels the playing field, right? We all have talents and we all have things that we are just really naturally good at. Um, what we've been trying to do is um, fit learning into a very prescribed set of you, you succeed if, you, if it looks like this and you don't succeed if it looks like everything else. And, and so what we, what, what, the reason why I think that the, um, looking at strengths and taking a strengths-based approach to education. And, and as Michael said, like education in schools and out of schools, um, in many ways our out of school partners see our, our young people in, as their full selves and know these aspects of them that like their natural talents in ways that our in-school partners um, haven't seen yet. And that, that those partnerships will make us to tr truly under, truly be able to center on a learner center on how, what they need to be successful and, um, and to, to recognize that that individualized education approach is the right path and that learners have the agency, they have the power to be able to, to say, these are, these are the things that I, I need to be able to learn well. And, um, and, and we're seeing that. That's one of those positive benefits of remote learning is that, um, that, that students are figuring out some of the things that they, that they need um, in order to be able to learn well. Um, the challenge is that we, you know, some estimates say that we've lost over 3 million students in this process um, because trying to fit this round peg in the square hole is, um, and not doing this is actually creating disengagement for kids, for families, and for some educators. So, to kind of wrap up this section of the interview, there a lot of people who listen to this podcast work within this traditional school system, but they're hungry for strategies that they can implement to start to actualize this vision that you both are talking about within education. What's one strategy you would give to a listener to start implementing change? Do you want to go first, Michael? Um, why, don't you, why don't you talk about family engagement first? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we're, we're introducing is, you know, a, a, a tool around uh, for, for supporting families through this process. And um, there's several steps on there. But, you know, for me, one is, is um, really engaging with community. Um, there are so many resources. I'm a DC native. Um, and so I, I'm really proud of my city. And so when you think about what learning can be in terms of the museums, the libraries, the arts and culture organizations, um, the, the music, uh, all of these pieces are present in these, these community spaces have made adjustments to, to this remote stance that we're in. Um, and so that first strategy I would say is really connecting with them 
in the traditional school system and families to, to, to identify um, how to bring out leadership for our students, how to bring out um, uh, other uh, connection, other collaboration spaces, so they can meet those, um, we call it like social emotional skills, so that they can develop and enhance those uh, and, and really then figuring out from there how to bring that into our traditional um, academic spaces. You know, if we are able to free teachers and students from these seat time requirements and state testing requirements, teachers are ready. They, 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 they're trained for this, right? They, they've been held back and tethered um, to, um, to broadband and laptops um, and, you know, this, if we can make these changes, um, you know, it opens up a whole new range of opportunities. In our Learning Pathmakers Expedition, we're creating a dedicated community of practice that um, will, in fact, bring, um, bring teachers, school-based educators, and community-based educators together uh, in a forum um, where they can share strategies. Um, you know, it's... We, we are seeing so many bright spots and so many um, successes that are happening even during this, this crisis, um, but they're isolated and teachers are isolated. And so being able to bring them together and starting, you know, not with a, a set of technology tools or a set of solutions, but we're really starting with how can they connect with each other? How can we build those relationships of support um, that exists not just uh, between and among school-based educators, but also with everyone that's involved with education in our community. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I think these answers, they've really opened my eyes. And so to wrap up this interview, I wanted to play a quick game with you both. Very low stakes. There are no right or wrong answers. It's some sillier questions to end it on a high note. So the game is called the Great Education Expedition off of the Learning Pathmakers Expedition. So let's get started. So first question, you get an education themed superpower. What would it be? Oh, wow. Oh, so my top talent is individualization. Um, and so I think it would be like totally that to be able to like literally personalize everything. <laughs> yeah, and, and my my top power, and, and you know, Cecily talked about being a coach. She's uh, she's been been helping me with uh, with the the strengths based approach as well, is really um, you know envisioning a different future. And, um, you know, the fact is that the way technology exists right now, um, we can create that future now. And so, you know, if I could snap my fingers and help everybody understand what we could do differently with technology now, um, that would be the superpower I would want. Okay, so next question. If you're going down this expedition with students, you're on this learning path, what would be your super cool vehicle like the magic school bus that you would use to take students down it? Hmm. I'll tell you, I don't want a vehicle. I want people to walk it. I want them Love to it. walk it. I want them to join each other hand in hand. Um, we are all on this journey together. We all learn, we all educate, we all support each other in learning. It's, it's part of our DNA. In fact, we call it our learning DNA. And I think the ability for people to, to come um, and to, to explore together at their own pace is really the important part 
Um, and that's, you know, in, we're, we're starting with, with relationships. Yeah, and I think walking it is the right the right analogy. I was I was immediately thinking about like what could people what vehicle could people be in where they could literally reach out and touch everything <laughs> and hear everyone. That's what we're talking about. We're we're talking about really basing learning experiences and in collaboration with others do it. So last question then, if you could so you've worked with students on what was formerly the district of learning. Now you're changing it to the learning Pathmakers expedition. So on this great education expedition you've been on, if there was one moment in time you could go back to, to relive, what would it be? Uh, I think it was the moment when Cecily said, yes, she joined this journey with me. Um, we have known each other for a long time. And um, I think the, the ability for the two of us to join forces um, and then the team that we've created around us is really what's going to make this work. Yeah, I, I, I think um, this is the, like, this is a, when I talk about reliving a moment, um, I, I, would, I would think to relive a, a positive moment. Um, and, and so in reliving a, a moment, my, my mind immediately um, goes to, these like celebratory spaces with my kids um and and you know graduations um we we had we had promotion my my little one went from middle school to middle school my my oldest graduated from college this year um and it was it was it was different but i think what it spoke to is the potential for us to make really quick pivots in education that we didn't think were possible um we, before this we thought that you know every effort would take a decade and that's not true we can make really quick pivots in education and we can envision a future that works for all of us and particularly centers on what our learners tell us they need and, and we can do that now that's such a perfect note to end on it's really beautifully said and it, it does make me hopeful for the future of learning so i know that learning pathmakers it's, a, it's an organization to watch. You guys are changing the way that learning happens and how we think about education. So where can the listeners find you and follow along with your work? Um, we um, are launching our uh, web presence at learningpathmakers.org. Um, that's the best place to start. Um, we'll have links to our uh, social channels there um, and, uh, and more information about registration for the expedition. Uh, to come. The expedition um, starts on February 16th, um, and uh, we hope everyone will join us. Absolutely. And you can find both Michael and I on LinkedIn, Cecily Darden Adams and Michael Robbins. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I follow both of you guys on LinkedIn. You're always putting out excellent resources too. So I, I've, I've learned a lot just from being connected with you both on the platform. So highly recommend. But thank you guys so much for joining us. It's been such a pleasure talking to you.